Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Karen Skatsina, the Infant Medical Director of TIPQC. One of the things I like so much about these podcasts are the interesting people we get to have conversations with about topics that can help improve care for mothers and babies, not only in Tennessee, but anywhere else where this podcast is being listened to. Today's discussion will feature Dr. Stephanie Atarian. Dr. Atarian is an Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics in Neonatology at Vanderbilt University as well as the NICU Medical Director at Maury Regional Medical Center. She focuses her academic work on neonatal nutrition and breastfeeding medicine. As an international board-certified lactation consultant, she is working to improve breast milk utilization rates, specifically mother's own milk, in the neonatal intensive care unit. Welcome, and thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Atarian. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and uh, to talk about breastfeeding in uh, World Breastfeeding Month and World Breastfeeding Week. That's right. So can you share a little more about your career and what sparked your interest in neonatology? When I was young in my career, I really loved that sort of high-paced adrenaline rush. I did my training in Memphis and we had a big trauma center there. And I was like, this is great. I love that quick sick and then quick fixed um, mentality. But then I decided pediatrics was really sort of where where I needed to be. And we spent three months in the NICU um, during my internship. And I ended up, to my surprise, loving the relationships that I formed with those families during this, like such a formidable time in their lives. And so I really felt like the NICU gave me the adrenaline rush that I wanted in the delivery room, but also that I got to have a decently long-term a relationship with the the parents. And so it was the best of both worlds for me. And I still put a smile on my face when I get those holiday updates from parents. And one, it's one of the parts of my career that I really treasure. You are not only a neonatologist, but also an IBCLC. What prompted that interest and how did the two areas complement each other? Yeah, that was a sort of serendipitous discovery on my part. Um, I had a patient that was a 24-weeker that had terrible necrotizing enterocolitis and didn't tolerate feeds. Really, the only thing that she tolerated was mom's milk. It was at a time when we were first getting donor milk in our NICU. And so we gave, we put her on donor milk and she tolerated that fine. And several times throughout her stay, we kept trying to transition her to formula and we just couldn't understand why she wouldn't tolerate it. And I just sparked a little bit of interest but I talked about my adrenaline rush. And so in my training, we had to do transport. And so I, we would 
fly in the helicopter to all these places sort of all around um, rural Missouri and pick up babies. And it was during my fellowship that they required us to do advanced trauma life support, so ATLS. And I was sitting in the class and the guy that was teaching it was an ER doc and he asked a question about adult medicine. And he was like, everybody that knows the answer raised their hand. And then he looked at me and he was like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a neonatologist. And he goes, why are you here? And I was like, I would love to know the answer to that myself. And so at the break, he started talking to me and he said, my wife is a pediatrician here in rural Missouri and she does breastfeeding medicine. And I was like, what in the world is breastfeeding medicine? And so I connected with her and that sort of put me on the the career path. And that's where I've been ever since. What so, a great story. So it sounds <laughs> like patient experience and then a very uh, fortuitous introduction. Yes. Yes. It was great. And I really feel like that it's something that we need more information about. You know, we don't get a lot of training in medical school. We don't get a lot of training in residency on breastfeeding, but it's such a crucial part for baby's health that I'm excited that I can share it. And we're developing some med school curriculums and some trainee curriculums so that we can really make sure that our our trainees are equipped to at least troubleshoot until somebody can get to a breastfeeding medicine doctor or a lactation consultant. That's wonderful. So so could you talk a little more about what your interests in breastfeeding are? What interests you about it? Sure. So really, it is beneficial for moms, mothers, and babies or parents and babies from womb to tomb, as we say. And that is the one thing that is so impressive to me. You know, everybody can kind of tout some benefits about breastfeeding for babies. But really, when we look at maternal health, we know that it's so helpful in the long term. So this is something that Kaiser, the Kaiser system figured out over a decade ago. And so they really put a lot of effort and a lot of funding into breastfeeding. They know it's a dose-dependent relationship, meaning the more you breastfeed, the more helpful it is for mamas and babies or parents and babies. And so they know that that investment will pay off in the long term. And now that they've been doing it for a while, they're really seeing that in their health system. So for moms, less breastfeeding means more postpartum bleeding. So it's that oxytocin that's released during breastfeeding that helps sort of clamp down that uterus and decrease the postpartum bleeding. We know that it helps with child spacing and we have the optimal child spacing would be 18 months, but we know that doesn't happen a lot. And I see that a lot in our NICU population. And so time to return to fertility, not for everyone, but for the population when they breastfeed is longer. We know that it decreases mom's rate of postpartum depression. So again, that oxytocin is bathing her brain every time she feeds that baby. So that can be really helpful. Breast cancer is decreased, ovarian cancer type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. This is a really cool... There was a recent study out about the decrease in visceral fats, and that's sort of a hot topic, of course, in the literature right now. And with the decreased visceral fat that moms have, they have decreased cardiovascular accidents. Postmenopausal hypertension is decreased and perimenopausal metabolic syndrome. So these are really... She breastfeeds in, in her 20s or her 30s or her 40s. And then in her 60s, she's still seeing these benefits, which I just think is so so fascinating. It really is. And as a general pediatrician, I often find that moms and families maybe heard about benefits to babies, but not as much about benefits to moms and families. And that can be really 
helpful information for us to share as as professionals that can be a factor in the decision, you know, about how to feed baby. So could you talk a little bit more about benefits of breastfeeding to baby and then specifically about benefits of human milk to babies in the NICU? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So for, um, there's a really great graphic um, that's by positivemed.com that sort of shows all of the systems of the body that it affects for babies. So visual acuity is better. So the eyes, it just sort of goes from head to toe. Higher IQ, it has benefits in immune system. It has benefits in the oral microbiome and the respiratory system. So it's decreasing our baby's risk of respiratory infections. Again, it's not completely wiping it out, but it's helping babies combat that. As I'm sure as a pediatrician, you are you hear parents all the time complain about reflux. And I used to complain about that too as a neonatologist because it just kept my NICU babies there for forever, it seemed like. But really, we know that that reflux is helpful and that Mother Nature did that for a reason. That's bathing all of those mucosal surfaces with IgA and washing off all those germs that they've picked up from putting their hands in their mouth or putting their toy in their mouth. And so I really try to put the positive spin on it for parents when they're like, I can't deal with any more laundry. But it also decreases risk of uh, juvenile cancers, diabetes, asthma. It decreases risks of GI infections. So really, again, that head-to-toe benefit, and that's super helpful for babies. And then you were asking about premature babies. In the premature population, we sort of compare the the risk of formula because most of the studies are done where they're, they're giving babies in the NICU formula. And we know that it increases the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis. That's probably the biggest one. There's an organization called the NEXT Society, and their whole focus is to help decrease necrotizing enterocolitis. And they're putting a lot of emphasis on the microbiome and how we can help that. And we know that breast milk is a prebiotic. It's, it's even better than a probiotic, which we sometimes give to babies in the NICU. It's a prebiotic. And so it can really be helpful for our babies, it decreases the risk of necrotizing enterocolitis, which for some babies can be deadly by six times. Retinopathy of prematurity. So everybody probably wonders why Stevie Wonder is blind, but he uh, suffered from retinopathy of prematurity. And that's an overgrowth of those blood vessels in the NICU population from their oxygen. And we don't really understand the mechanism of how human milk works, but we know that it decreases inflammation. And we think that's, we sort of theorize that that's how it helps, but it can help with their, with baby's visual acuity, just like it can for the term baby. And then sepsis, there's been lots of studies. So for every little bit more of milk that babies get, they decrease their risk of infection. They decrease their risk of central line infections. We think again, that's that anti-inflammatory effect. We think it's the immune factors that are in the breast milk. And then we know that babies are able to get their central lines out faster when they are feeding mom's milk because they're able to tolerate uh, feeds better. So those are the main, in addition to the ones we talked about for term babies, those are the main benefits from premature babies too. Oh, I should also talk about the risk of metabolic syndrome. So we know our babies that are born premature are at risk of metabolic syndrome. We used to worry a lot about catch-up growth in those first two years. But when we follow those kids out to the age of 21, we know that the babies that have had that catch-up growth continue to grow, even when they're in their 20s and they're not growing up in height 
they're growing in weight, which we know can be detrimental. So really breast milk is the ultimate personalized medicine. And that's a big hot topic. And we know that in addition to the enzymes that are in the breast milk, that it can actually turn off the obesity genes or keep them off. And so that is, that's sort of an area that's under a lot of research now and, and really an exciting thing to watch. And then we know for our, in addition to decreasing the risk of metabolic syndrome, that cardiovascular disease. So our premature babies are at risk of cardiovascular disease. Their lungs are really stiff and their hearts are pumping really hard to push that blood into the lungs. And so they get an overgrowth sort of of the heart. You can think of it like that. And when we look at babies, the more breast milk they received, the more normal their hearts looked when they were 21. And so those are, those are some really important reasons that we should give our, our premature babies breast milk. We know that donor milk, and we're so thankful for the Mother's Milk Bank of Tennessee, that we can have fresh or frozen donor milk and not um, shelf-stable donor milk. So we're, we're really grateful for that. And we know that's the next best thing. But we do know that mom's milk, she is making this milk specifically for her baby and her preterm baby. Her preterm milk has more protein in it. And we know that mom's milk is best. So anytime we can optimize the use of mom's milk versus donor milk, that is super helpful. So many benefits of breastfeeding and and breast milk. Thank you for describing all of that. And they're both immediate and lifelong, as you mentioned. I'd love to hear more about your work in this area. Could you tell us about projects you've done to increase use of human milk in the NICU? Yeah. So we have kind of collaborated, if you will, with the California Perinatal Quality of Care Collaborative. I know that somebody was talking about their skin to skin a couple podcasts ago, and that was a really great and inspiring podcast. But we really use their seven best practices for helping moms in the NICU and encouraging moms in the NICU to provide breast milk. So they have a really great seven steps we can link in the show notes, and, and that can be helpful if, if somebody's trying to you know, know where to start. It has a great blueprint for how to, to sort of, and it's pretty easy or seemingly easy, easier said than done, I guess. Our biggest lift, I think, in the NICU population was the development of a NICU nurse training course. So we have a NICU and PICU, so pediatric ICU as well, because we know that a lot of the heart babies go to the pediatric ICU and the breast milk is extra beneficial, for, especially for cardiac babies and decreasing their risk of necrotizing enterocolitis as well. So that is through the IABLE Institute for the Academy of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education. That course can be helpful for anybody that works in the PICU or the NICU, dietitians, nurses, physicians. And so we are doing some research on that and seeing how it changes their ability to counsel families and, and to get milk into their NICUs. In our own NICU here at Vanderbilt, of course, I talked about that we're using uh, milk from the Mother's Milk Bank of Tennessee to supplement when mother's own milk is not available. We always have some quality improvement projects going. Right now, we're working on oral immune therapy. We used to call it oral care with colostrum, but now we're calling it oral immune therapy. So we know that each ml of breast milk has like 4,000 cells in it that are immune-fighting factors in them. And so we can put that into the preemie's mouth, even if they're not getting feeds in their NG tubes or by mouth. We'll put 0.1 mLs. It seems so silly to put that tiny little bit, but we know that those babies absorb it and we can actually detect 
enzymes from the breast milk in their urine, even just from putting it in the side of their mouth. And so moms feel more or parents feel more empowered when they're able to provide milk and that we're actually using it. We know that they provide milk for longer. In addition to all the immune factors, babies reach feeds faster. And so that's one thing that we're really focusing on in our NICU right now. Skin to skin, we do our kangaroo care week. We have a lot of skin to skin and we're working, we have a skin to skin committee. We're working on increasing that. We know that that helps to increase breastfeeding rates to help parents provide milk for longer. We are improving. We have a QI project to improve pumping for the high-risk dyad. We know that after a mom delivers and she is separated from her baby, that it can be a really trying time. The nurse is really busy. She's probably has more risk factors than a a mom that delivers, she's baby doesn't go to the NICU. And so the nurse is checking her vitals and all of that stuff. So we're really trying to treat it sort of as a nutritional emergency. And so we send somebody immediately to help her either hand express her milk or pump her milk. The more sessions she gets in in those first couple of days, the higher her prolactin goes and the more milk ultimately she's going to have. And so we're putting a lot of effort into helping moms pump earlier and more often. We're working on staff education. So trying to really bust those myths like breastfeeding is too much energy. We actually have a study that compared breastfeeding to bottle feeding and there was no difference in energy expenditure. And so busting those old myths like that or that kids need to be able to bottle feed before breast. We know that kids are more hemodynamically stable when they're breastfeeding. It's more physiologic than bottle feeding. And so we're trying to do more staff education to help some of them have their CLCs. And really, they serve as that frontline defense for our NICU population. Our lactation consultants are wonderful, but as with any other unit, there's not enough of them to go around for all the babies that we have. So in addition to increasing our staffing of our RNIB CLCs, we're also trying to put these breastfeeding champions in place that have extra training, hands-on, and didactic training so they can be our first line of defense so that the mom doesn't just stop breastfeeding altogether. Those are really sort of the projects that we're working on right now, there's always room for more improvement. I should address, we're trying to get back our NICU breastfeeding support group. That is, has been a big, you know, we had, it went away during COVID. Our moms have expressed that they want to come back. We're exploring things online and how that might work. So we're really, really trying to get that as much support for, for NICU moms as possible. Well, I love how you're approaching the, the issue and, and providing support Um, using so many different approaches and avenues. What sort of success are you seeing and and what trends have you observed in rate of of use of human milk in the NICU? Yeah, our lactation consultants have done an amazing job. We were just looking at our breastfeeding at discharge rates yesterday and we are up to 78% of our babies going home that are receiving some of mother's milk. I'm really proud of that. It's been a lot a heavy, heavy lift for our lactation consultants. They are pulled all over the hospital. They're, you know, seeing our NICU babies. And so they have, I joke that I'm always going to look at their pedometers every day because I bet they get like 20,000 steps. I mean, it, it is crazy how much they run all over the hospital. So we are really proud of that. You know, that is not that they're going home exclusively breastfeeding. We know that every drop counts and that's really what we tell our parents. It is not an all or none thing, but that any... Anything you give your baby is 
helpful and healthy for them. And we, every drop truly does count. And so we are, we are really focused on that. I think now we'll probably start to turn our attention to direct breastfeeding. I think that's an area of improvement for our unit. As with a lot of NICUs, hopefully busting some of these myths that babies shouldn't go to breasts will be helpful. We're starting to put babies to a pumped breast when they're on bubble CPAP. And so we know that when moms can or parents can directly breastfeed, that they are able to provide milk for longer, that they feel like it's less work for them, not in the immediate future, but sort of an investment that that on down the road, they're not having to pump and bottle feed and wash all the parts. And, and so triple feeding is decreased. And so we know that those babies can provide milk for longer. And so I think that's probably where we'll turn our attention next. Well, it sounds like you're providing incredible support in the hospital and, and seeing some great success in terms of rates at discharge with the new 10 care lactation reimbursement benefit that went into effect for the outpatient setting June 1st for outpatient lactation services and support. What kind of impact do you think this will make and and how will it be helpful to your families? I am so excited about this. This has been a long time coming and we are are really excited. We know that lactating individuals deserve high quality evidence-based care. And I think and I hope that this will help provide that in a meaningful way and hopefully will help to decrease our health disparities we know that exists. And so I'm hopeful that lactating women will be able to get more care because now it's paid for, but also that lactation consultants will want to come out of the field. You know, in my dream, they're all coming out of the woodwork to be outpatient lactation consultants uh, now that this is an option. And so I'm hopeful that now that we're getting reimbursement for it, that will just help to justify more lactation consultants so that we can increase our availability. I agree. Just very exciting time. So you've highlighted a number of breastfeeding resources I wondered if there's any others that you would recommend in the area of infant nutrition and breastfeeding for health professionals. Yeah. So for health professionals, I really, I think iABLE, so that's lacted.org can be really helpful. Full disclosure that I uh, have co-authored several courses for that and, and teach with that. But You can get SERPs through that. You can get nursing credits through that. You can get dietitian credits through that. So if people are looking for more education, it's really focused on evidence-based education. We have references for all of our slides and things like that. And so that is a great resource. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine has protocols that are free online for patients with, or for patients with mastitis, patients with hypotonia, very nuanced diagnoses. And so that can be helpful. I think there's like over 30 protocols by this point. We have trashthepumpanddump.org. That can be really helpful for both professionals and parents so that they can know when they need to pump and dump. You know, there's very few scenarios where people need to pump and dump, but they are told to pump and dump a lot and by trained professionals, but they're just nervous about breastfeeding. And so always encourage parents to pump and save and ask somebody or or look it up or call the infant risk hotline. That's another really great one. They have a staffed hotline from eight to five, I think Monday through Friday, where they can answer your breastfeeding questions and 
about drugs, about uh, radiology procedures and things like that. So I think those are the, the biggest ones for professionals that I can think of. Occasionally, I will give it to parents. I don't try to give it to parents a lot because it does have some graphic images. It's done by a breast surgeon, Dr. Katrina Mitchell, and she does put a lot of intraoperative photos on there. So if you have a weak stomach, probably not the website for you, but it does have a lot of great evidence-based information. So that's a great list and we'll be sure to include links to those in the show notes. What about resources that you usually recommend for moms or parents and families? Yeah, I really like Kelly Mom. I find most of their articles are are helpful. So kellymom.com, I believe it is. There's an Australian website that I like, bellybelly.au. I think that has evidence-based information and it it covers breastfeeding, but it also covers, you know, normalizing infant behaviors. So it's not normal for your baby to sleep through the night just because your friend's baby is sleeping through the night, those types of things. And that, that babies are at the highest growth velocity that they'll ever be at. And so that's why they wake up to eat. It's not to make you exhausted. And so it kind of normalizes those infant behaviors, normalizes sort of how infants act that some of breastfeeding is nutrition, some of it's wanting to be close to you. And again, we're, we're carrying mammals. And so that that's normal. So I really like that website. Mommy Meds, I believe I'll, we can look that up and make sure that that's the right Instagram to get your breastfeeding knowledge. But then I found during the pandemic, parents were so isolated that it was a great source of connection for them. And so I actually have now changed my... I'm seeing it in a different light. I'm telling them to go on there but to take the medical information with a grain of salt and to ask me about it or ask somebody about it. And I found that it's actually opened up the conversation because they're like, Hey, I read on legendary milk that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh, let's talk about that. And so I found that actually it's increased my conversations around breastfeeding, which I love, of course. That's great. And it's so helpful for us to have those evidence-based resources at our fingertips. I know I use the mommy med site and app quite a bit that you mentioned. And that's by the pediatric pharmacist, Dr. Thomas Hale, who also started that infant risk center hotline that professionals and moms can call. And we, we do that too sometimes. So great list of resources. As you mentioned, August is national breastfeeding month. We've talked about a lot of wonderful opportunities already, but what else is needed related to infant nutrition and breastfeeding to support the health of mothers and babies? That is a great question. And I wish I had the sort of magic answer for it. I do know that we need more support. We need more support for lactation. We need more support in that initial postpartum period. And for healthcare professionals that are listening to this, we know this more than ever for ourselves. So when we look at rates of physician breastfeeding, which has been probably the the most studied, that our physician breastfeeding rates are lower than the national average, despite all the education that we have. And that just speaks to our early return to work, our unsupportive work environment. Sadly, um, even in pediatrics, you hear stories about people that are, are not able to pump at work. And so really helping moms with more access to care, which this I think this 10 care pass will help. But also if we can work on a parental leave, I think that is a huge 
area, we know that countries that have longer parental leave, also companies that have longer parental leave have higher rates of breastfeeding. And like we talked about with Kaiser, it really is an investment in our society's health. And so I'm hopeful that we can that we can really increase the support for moms with both people around them that are healthcare professionals and providing evidence-based care, but also with more time with their infants at home. So wonderful. Lots going on and lots more work to be done. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Any final closing thoughts? Yeah, you know, like we said, every drop counts. So please, um, you know, your your worth as a parent is not measured in the drops of breast milk. And so anything that you give your baby is awesome. And I always I also encourage, especially NICU parents, like don't stop on your worst day. If you want to stop, that is totally up to you. And that is your your right, of course, as a parent. But make sure you're doing that with like an educated decision and not in sort of a moment of this is the worst thing I've ever done. And so try to surround yourself with that, with that support. If you can't, please reach out. I know there was a podcast by the Tennessee Breastfeeding Hotline, which can be really helpful. But the ABCs of breastfeeding are the one, two, three, but keep pumping to protect your supply. And then number three, to get help as quickly as you can. Wonderful advice. Are there any quotes you think of often or live your life by? Ooh, that is a tough one to end with, but I have, I guess, two that I live my life by. So one is everybody is born into the world looking for someone that's looking for them. And so I think about that in my own personal life when I'm exhausted and my kids are waking me up in the middle of the night. I'm like, they're just looking for me. And also for our NICU patients, you know, we have fussy babies, not in the NICU and in the NICU. And they're really just looking for somebody to connect with, even though it can be totally exhausting. All right. So my second quote that I live by is really a proverb, but it is, we do not kiss our children, so they will kiss us in return. We kiss our children, so they will kiss their children and their children's children. So I think really, if we can pass pass all of our, our information on, that is really the, the way to go. Very sweet. Well, thank you again for talking with us today. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.